Hello, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast, where I talk to developers who are also in business of one form or another, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business, or if maybe you're already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show has some value for you. This is episode 22 with Kelly Vaughn. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator Otto Kukic to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline, I need to make sure that I don't double book myself, and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us, and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Kelly Vaughn. Kelly is a front-end developer and entrepreneur who runs the Taproom Agency, a marketing agency specializing in building excellent Shopify storefronts. She's a Shopify Plus partner, co-host of the Ladybug podcast, and runs the most important store on the web, Dev Merch at kvlly.com. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to have you here and chat about uh, everything that goes into running an agency. Um, I'm wondering if maybe where we could start though is uh, Dev Merch, your your storefront that you've got, <laughs> and uh, maybe some of the motivation behind it. I've seen some of the products you've got on Twitter, and uh, I, I think it's really important merch for any developer out there. So tell me about Dev Merch. Yeah, so it all got started based on my own little personal experiment. I, and we can, we can get in a little bit deeper into this later, but I wanted to figure out how to build a headless commerce store using Gatsby with a backend of Shopify. And I needed to create some products, some test products. So I decided to pull up uh, the fulfillment, the print on demand service we use is called Printful 
And I basically just took a screenshot of one of my tweets and popped it onto a mug. And I thought it was hilarious and I kept on laughing because it generates these these images for you to use, like these mock-ups. Mm. And it was just like my mug with a Git log that's really depressing, surrounded by donuts. <laughs> and I'm like, this is perfect. So I posted it on, on Twitter, just laughing at the image itself. And people were like, no, seriously, I want to buy that. That's awesome. So I'm like, okay. So I went ahead and actually set up the store and that was back in July. And it basically just took off from there. And wow. it got to the point where I'd post something funny on Twitter and people were like, so when is this going to be a sticker? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm looking at it right now. There are all sorts of great mugs with uh, stack traces and uh, console errors and all sorts of things. So <laughs> check it out if you're a developer, um, which most folks listening uh, certainly are. Um, so is this like, and it's a, it's like a legit store. Like it's it's making money for you by by the sounds of it. You've got some products here with with decent prices. I'm assuming that you're 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 bringing in some cash from it. Yeah, yeah. So I actually haven't taken a profit from it yet. Meaning that I haven't actually paid myself anything. Right. It's just still sitting in the account. So something to know about dropshipping and uh, print-on-demand kind of services is that the margin is pretty low for mm, actually making money. It's going to be anywhere between 25 and 50%, depending on where you put that the actual price point for your products. So not making a ton of money from it. It's mainly just for the fun of it. But you know, yeah. who knows? You know, Maybe six months from now, I can have like a little, a, a little extra revenue stream coming in. For sure. Would, would you say that it has uh, has helped your main business at all? We'll get to that, the Taproom Agency. Um, has, it, has it in any way sort of helped to bring attention to, to the Taproom, maybe just through getting yourself known on Twitter through, through this merch? It has, actually, yeah. I've had previous, like I have a current client right now who saw one of my tweets about the product that I made. He is also a developer, so he thought it was hilarious. And he's <laughs> like, so we're actually kind of interested in, in doing some Shopify work with you. And cool. they ended up signing on as a client with us. That's awesome. So yeah, really good side benefits there and uh, on its way to making some money. So that's that's great. Um, cool. So you run the Taproom Agency, and uh, this is an agency that deals with Shopify storefronts uh, from everything that I've uh, seen on, on your Twitter bio and on your website. This is kind of mm -hmm. your, your bread and butter is Shopify. Um, so tell me about how did you get into Shopify and, and to be focused specifically on it? Um, did that, is that a, a newer thing? Did that start a long time ago? Um, what's your history with Shopify? Yeah, I started working with Shopify back in 2014. So it's been about five and a half years now. I kind of fell into it on accident. I was doing some freelancing work for WordPress sites and somebody tweeted that they had a little bit of overflow work, they needed some help, and I'm like, hey, help me, I'm poor. I'm still in uh, grad school at this time, so any extra money is great. And yeah. he ended up having a Shopify project to work on that was just you know, making some changes to a theme, and I was like, this is really cool, this is really fun. And you can, get, cool. can see the immediate impact on the work that you're doing, as opposed to building a, an informational site. Because yeah. if their revenue is increasing, if their AOV is increasing, you could you could directly measure the work that you've done in a monetary right. value, which is really cool. So I just kept on taking on more and more Shopify stores as they as the work would come in, and became a Shopify expert in October of 2014, and okay. focused 100% of my time on Shopify starting in about November 2015. Wow. Okay. Cool. So yeah, I mean, I mean, Shopify, as as most 
folks know, it, it's this company that's just been exponentially growing um, uh, for, for a long time now and makes it super easy to set up a storefront, etc. Um, I've got a bit of a, a soft spot for Shopify because they're in my, not my hometown, but where I live now in Ottawa. So they're a, they're a local, mm -hmm. local fixture here. Um, and uh, and I, I think what they're doing is great. Um, is it, would you say like if Shopify didn't exist in the way it does, would you be, still be interested in doing like e-commerce? Is, is, is e-commerce itself sort of like part of the um, motivation for you to be doing what you're doing? Or is it kind of like Shopify has made something great for you to, to be working with? And I guess what I'm getting at is like, um, I wonder for folks that are, are interested in getting into different kinds of uh, business development wise, if they should really be like focusing on like what it is that they're interested in at the core, or if it's like enough to be looking at um, a company like Shopify or, or any other company that, that is giving a pr that is producing a product that allows you to sort of build uh, a business yourself on, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's a lot of value in, in that kind of specializing to, you know, in my case, focus on e-commerce. I actually had some e-commerce experience before I started working on a Shopify store using WooCommerce. So it wasn't mm -hmm. my first foray into e-commerce, and I do have a particular draw to e-commerce in general. Uh, again, for the direct monitor, like I can see my, my own growth, I can see my clients' growth a little bit more easily. And right. I feel like working with clients who are running a store uh, you get a different kind of relationship working with them. They're much more passionate, much more dedicated about the, the project they're working on because quite often it, it is their livelihood. Yeah. So there is definitely a lot of value in, in focusing on a specific area that you yourself are interested in, especially if you're going to be doing it as a full-time job. Right, right, absolutely. Um, and so you're running an agency, a taproom agency. Um, I think there's a lot of folks out there who are... Um, interested in the prospect of starting an agency or getting to the point where they um, have enough work to support like you know a proper proper agency There's a lot of folks mm -hmm. who are, are freelancers doing sort of um, one-off projects and that sort of thing and this is definitely something that I've had in my own mind because I I do consulting work I do I, I build applications for companies and I've got some subcontractors that help me out with various pieces but I've I've been mindful lately of, of whether I should try to take it in a direction where it's like you know a kind of a proper agency or kind of just keep doing what I'm doing now. Um, so uh, Taproom, has it always, have you always had it in mind to like um, have an agency that employs people that, uh, you know, operates in the way the agency does? Or did it happen more kind of organically, I guess? It really happened organically. I, it's kind of funny. I did an interview with MailChimp back in 2016 and I was a freelancer at the time. So I was partnering with some other freelancers. I, I as a developer, I do not design websites. You do not want me to designing your website. So I'd partner with uh, other designers. And in that interview, I said, I never want to start an agency. I like this okay. kind of hybrid approach of just partnering with other freelancers. And it wasn't, it was a month later where I, woke up one morning, I'm like, no, I actually think I do want to start an agency. I huh. was working under the name Kelly Von Creative as a freelancer, and I was talking to some larger clients, large-ish, and I could not sign any of them on. And I realized oh, okay. I am holding myself back because it sounds like I'm a one-woman show. Even right. though I have like a team of subcontractors, if you're working on, you know, working with Kelly Von Creative versus working with the tap room, 
there's a bigger draw to work with the tap room as an as a more like formulated agency and full fledged business. So Hmm. that was really my turning point to shift gears and start focusing on building out an agency instead. Interesting. So even though, because Kelly Von Creative, uh, at least to me, kind of speaks that it's you know it's an organization. Maybe maybe it's headed by a person that is um, responsible for most things, just based on the way the name sounds. But it still sounds like you know an entity that that would be hireable um, as entities are. But but was it did, so? You found just just even the name of it was kind of holding you back to some extent. Yeah, I'm the type of person who always strives for bigger and better and more. And I was signing on plenty of small businesses, maybe like mom and pop shops, things like that, which is fine. But I wanted the challenge of working with larger companies. And these larger companies did not want to put their trust in what seemed like one person because there is a lot of risk that comes with that. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. How how do you go about sourcing work from larger companies, as you say? You're working with a lot of mom and pop shops. Um, what was your strategy, and I guess what what continues to be your strategy for looking at at work from from larger larger orgs? Today, they're our biggest, and actually always the case. Our our biggest source of uh, clients has been word of mouth. Uh, from previous clients, from our tech partners. Our tech partners forming those strong relationships with other people in the same network, the same area, has been extremely Mm -hmm. valuable to us for making introductions to uh, people who may have like a subscription component on their website, but they want to, you know, rebrand their entire site. They would make that introduction to us. So we never actually started that conversation. For me personally, the more I posted on social media, like Twitter and LinkedIn about e-commerce related topics and talking about direct-to-consumer, that really got the the attention from these larger companies. So I was, mm. by positioning myself really as a subject matter expert, as the founder of the Tap Room and having the Shopify Plus Partner label associated with the Tap Room definitely helps as well. Gotcha. So maybe that's a good place to go is is the Shopify Plus program. So what is, what is that exactly? How does that work? Yeah, so Shopify Plus is the enterprise level version of Shopify. So it's really great for merchants who have hit a certain point of growth and they're really needing to scale. Um, you get a lot more tools that are good for automations. Um, so you can automate certain things at checkout using Shopify scripts. You can schedule launches for theme changes and sales and things like that using Launchpad. And then you can also use a, an app called Shopify Flow that lets you set up automations when certain triggers happen, like when mm. somebody places an order, tag them as a VIP customer if it's their third order or if their order value has now exceeded $200 or, you know, Hmm. things like that. So you're able to use these tools and data to your advantage to further market to them, but really segment your audience and, and drill down on what it is that those customers are wanting to hear. Gotcha. Okay. Excuse me. Uh, So, so the being a partner, what, what does it mean, I guess, to be a Shopify plus partner specifically? So there are a lot of Shopify experts. There are a lot of Shopify partners. There are not so many Shopify Plus partners. We're actually the only uh, agency partner in Atlanta, for example, who works okay. with Shopify Plus. So that basically means that we have extensive enough experience working with Shopify and working with these larger merchants where we know how to solve more complex issues. Mm-hmm. We have experience working with them in the past, and we continue this track record of working with Shopify Plus merchants who are not going to just need like the basic theme design kind of things. Yeah. And again, being a developer myself has really helped kind of pave that path for us because 
I spent a lot of the time doing that work myself before I yeah. continue to build out that development team. Yeah, that's that's something that I was curious about chatting about too, is like now that you've got the tap room, it's an agency, you've got staff, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Are you still doing lots of dev work or is it more management at this point? Um, is it still, like, is it a mix of both? How does that go? Yeah, it's a mix of both right now. And to be completely honest, I'm doing way more development work than I should be doing. Okay. And I'm a really big fan of uh, the book, The E-Myth, and where he talks about working on your business, not in your business. Mm. And the more time I spend doing the day-to-day -day development work, the less time I'm spending growing my business and, and mm. nurturing that environment that my team needs to be able to succeed. So it's it's a learning, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go, my team is growing, the, and I usually hit like this point in how much development work I'm doing where I'm like, okay, time to hire another developer. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. And your developers, are they local to Atlanta? Are they remote? Do you, do you They're like all to remote. hire all remote? Okay. And how, cause remote, I, I'm a big fan of remote work. I, I've done it for, you know, uh, maybe like five years now, all, all told. I, w I love it way better than working in an office. Um, but it does have its challenges. Have you found any particular challenges, uh, having a remote team or has it been just like smooth so far? I think the hardest thing with building a remote team is having that same sense of community feel that you would get mm. if you were all working in the same office. It's a lot harder to to have those day-to-day -day conversations where you're not you know, physically sitting next to somebody and being able to have that conversation with them. It takes a lot more effort to start those conversations on Slack, for example, and keep right. those conversations going. That's probably been our biggest yeah. challenge. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely that's that's a challenge for sure. I remember that being a challenge at uh, a company that I worked for for a few years, which was a remote first company, and it was like you'd get to know people to a certain extent, but it 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 got tricky to you know have that same camaraderie that you would if you were sitting right beside them at the office, right? The exactly. There, there's a whole slew, I think. Anyway, my theory is there's a whole slew of like human interaction components that are just by nature missing when we're working over slack that are that are beneficial but it, but I, I suppose it's all trade-offs right because at the end of the day if you're hiring remotes the the employee ha the employee satisfaction i think is is probably higher net than it would be if you force them to come into an office and then you've just got so for much sure. more got so many more options for hiring if you're if you're open to remote so so that yeah, is cool absolutely um, I'd love to chat about your uh, your approach to kind of marketing, I guess, uh, marketing online, marketing maybe just locally too. Um, you're, you're very active on Twitter. You've got, uh, got a large following there. Is that a driver of business for you, would you say? Um, is it... Do you, do you look do you look at Twitter as a way to try to drum up business or is it kind of totally separate? I'm, I'm just curious about maybe your your approach to just making your name known, making the tap room known um, and ultimately what would drive word of mouth and, and that sort of thing to to the tap room. Yeah, the more time I spend tweeting about e-commerce related topics, 
the more attention I'm getting from that side of the world, uh, you know, outside of this, just like the developer community. And it is actually mm. drumming up work. So it's it's been a bit of a challenge for me basically having two separate identities on the same Twitter account, being mm-hmm. Kelly the developer, making developer jokes in the community. And also Kelly is a professional who runs an agency and talks all day and all night about everything e-commerce. Right, right. It, have you found a good way to balance those two or any kind of strategy for that? Because that's something <laughs> I think that I, I, I mean, I, I definitely don't have the same uh, activity level, I, I guess, on Twitter as, 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 as you do, for example. Like, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, my jokes are definitely not as good. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not posting quite so many. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the, the thing that's been in my mind is like, you know, I like to share tips and tricks uh, with my audience. Uh, mostly, mostly it's stuff to do with JavaScript. Um, it's stuff to do with various frameworks, etc. And and that's a that's a good way to get some um, some people sort of paying attention to the content that I produce, for example. Mm-hmm. And then if I have a paid product, you know, hopefully some people are attracted to that. And and so it's this way of building an audience. But I also you know, because the other side of my business is doing consulting work um, with clients that probably aren't even paying attention to Twitter at all um, at the end of the day. So I, I always try, in my mind, I'm like, should I be tweeting things that are specific to the kind of business that I do when I'm you know, acting as a consultant or should I just focus on like the, the stuff that I typically do? Um, so anyway, I, I wonder if, if there's if there's any strategy to, to balance those two that you've found. I think the biggest thing to remember is when you're speaking to two different audiences, they are not going to see eye to eye. Hmm. So I will tweet something that's, you know, very e-commerce centric, very, very like marketing focused, like talking about uh, marketing emails, like additional flows you can create um, in my favorite marketing platform being Clevio. And I will have developers reply to me saying, oh, well, you just want to annoy your customers even more. I'm like, you're not the target audience here. Also, if you don't want the emails, unsubscribe, you know, just things like that. So, I mean, the, the... the challenges do arise when you have a conversation with, you know, basically it's like be like having a mix of people in the same room, but you're only trying to have a conversation yeah. with one side of them, but they're going to hear the other people are going to hear it inevitably. And yeah. it, you know, recognizing that not all of your tweets are going to basically hit on the same level and recognizing that that's just, that's how life is going to be if you're speaking to two different audiences. So, I yeah. mean, it's an, it's a challenge still, but, I think I've gotten better about just being like, okay, I don't need to reply to all these people who disagree with me because they're not who I'm really talking to right now anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. That's, that's a good approach, I think. Um, what are some of the challenges that you've run into running an agency? I'm curious about maybe um, things that are tough and, and perhaps things that are maybe lesser known that are, are challenging things. Because I, I think, you know, there's people who have it in mind that they, maybe they'd like to start an agency uh, at some point. Maybe they're freelancing now. They want to grow it into an agency. Uh, once you get there, what are some of the, the tough parts that we might not typically think about? I think one of the things that's most common with all freelancers, and, and I'm sure you included, is the ebbs and flows of work. Mm, You know, there are certain quarters where we're extremely busy and usually Q1 is one of those quarters where we're not busy. And the moment you start hiring people, especially as a full-time salaried employee, they're expecting to be paid, you know, whatever pay structure you have, and you better have that money in there. And there have been times when we don't sign on a new client for a month. We have work to do still, but 
I do have to, you know, depend on our line of credit to run payroll for a certain pay period or things like that. It's really stressful, but it's something, you know, the the longer you're running your agency and the more you kind of figure out how to build up your your client pipeline, the the easier that becomes. And I'm yeah. I now that we're, you know, <laughs> a month, two months, we're under second month of 2020, I'm realizing I'm handling things a lot better this year than I did last year. So a mm. lot of it's just like a learning, you know, learning opportunity there. Um, I think one of the things that's really challenging as you grow your agency is delegation. Yeah, I okay. have you know, I was a one-woman show for the longest time. So I did everything from the sales, the admin, the development work, the follow-up, everything. And as I've grown my team, I offload certain tasks, but maybe things aren't responded to as quickly as I would respond to them because I am constantly glued to my email, which is a totally other issue. (laughs) (laughs) And just learning to accept that people do have different working styles and you need to be adaptable to the team that you're building out and you need to be able to trust them that they're going to get the work done that might not get done the same exact way that you would do it, Mm. but that's not a bad thing. Yeah. So again, the delegation and just learning to kind of let go and trust I mean, it's also worth saying that you're going to trust your team if you're hiring good people. Hmm. Yep. Any any uh, thoughts on sourcing uh, good good people, as it were? Um, you know, team team members that will work well with you, that are are a good fit. I suppose. Any any things that you found to be uh, useful that way? We use WeWork remotely as okay. a source for posting our jobs. Uh, we also use a company called HireHive, which is basically one of those aggregate job posting websites so opposed to you know Indeed and Glassdoor and things like that. Um, you're going to get a lot of applicants who say that they can do things that they can't actually do. Hmm. Skills, and like just hard skills or? Yeah, or yeah. So they say they have experience doing something that they don't. Right. And it's, it's the typical job application process. So that's why your your hiring process is extremely important to make sure that you're, you know, really validating the, the candidate as, as far as what they can do and what they say they can do. Yeah. And I've fallen into the trap of trusting them. And I've had to let people go before because mm-hmm. they ended up not being able to deliver on what they said they could deliver. So I've lengthened the, the job application, like the hiring process. My job application is not a one-click apply, there are additional questions, and I am very closely evaluating how those, uh, how the candidates are applying to those questions. Right. Um, and it's really, it really comes down to what it is you're looking for in a candidate. For me, I, I have a, an interesting educational background. Um, I have my master's in public health and master's in clinical social work, so I'm a okay. trained therapist. Wow. So I can, the, the way I go about evaluating candidates is probably going to be a little bit different from, from other right. people, yeah. but I get, you know, hyper-personal on, on how exactly it is that they're responding to the questions in the application, how they're typing out their emails. When we have a phone interview or a video interview, how they're responding to me, especially yeah. in a remote environment, you need to make sure that they're going to be a good fit for the team. Huh, interesting. So what's, um, what would be some, maybe just, Two, one, two, or three sort of like good things to look out for. Like from your experience with your educational background, especially if uh, if you're somebody out there who's hiring and you you want to you know have some inkling as to whether it's going to be a good fit early on. What are some things you found useful to to look for behaviorally, maybe? 
Behaviorally, the first thing is you can definitely tell when you're talking to somebody how interested they are in the position. Mm. If it's just, and, and I get it, you know, at the end of the day, you need to pay your bills. You maybe have a family to support. You maybe have debt you're trying to pay off. A job is a job. But at the same time, for smaller companies, every single com- every single employee on their team is very crucial to the success of the business. Yeah. So you can really notice in the way people are responding to questions that you're asking, just communicating with you in general, how interested they are in, in the position and working with the company. Um, I have also had a lot of experiences with seeing how they respond to me in particular. Mm. Um, I've had people cut me off in interviews. I've had people snap back at me in interviews. Oh, and like those, like just, I mean, those to me seem like common sense. Yeah, yeah You yeah. know, think about who it is you're talking to. Jeez. Just in, in terms of like, you're trying to get a job here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's another one there that's really important to me. And, and just the general follow-up with, uh, you know, after you, and, and you know, people always say this, after you have an interview, send a thank you note. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it actually does go a long way, especially when you're interviewing so many different people. It's an extra touch point to the hiring manager yeah. to be like, oh yeah, that was a really good interview, and now I'm going to, you know, add this note to their, their file, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the, the kind of, um, well, for those of us who maybe read about <laughs> good ways to conduct oneself in an interview, those are those are <laughs> things that uh, that we hear about all the time. And, and I've had the thought before, like, eh, maybe those are just kind of things that are cliches and, and don't actually, that aren't actually effective. But, but those human touch points, I think, regardless of how how commonly we read them in in advice for doing interviews there's there's so super valuable like the, those are crucial human touch point elements that i think go go a long way so exactly yeah that's cool um so so we've talked about some of the challenges like uh you know it can so payroll can be tricky sometimes if if mm-hmm. there's um you know if client work coming in is in a bit of a lull so that's that's one thing uh team working with delegation that's that's um can be tricky sometimes too what are some of the i guess upsides to running an agency that um perhaps aren't so much there if you're a freelancer or or even an employee at another company if you if you're running an agency and you're running the show what are some of the things that you've found to be um beneficial or that that you like personally one of my absolute favorite things is seeing my team not only just finish a project and do a good job at it, but they're very clearly proud of the work that they've mm. done. And being able to celebrate that with them and seeing their own their their growth as a developer, as a project manager, as, you know, designer, whatever their role is, but but knowing that the work that you are providing them, and not only the money that they're taking home at the end of the day, but the work they're providing them, they feel fulfilled in the work that they're doing. That is one of the biggest rewards to me of running an agency. And you know, really having that team aspect has been been really helpful for me personally. Um, I am, I'm quite the extrovert and being a solo freelancer can be extremely lonely sometimes. Hmm. And having people to you know talk to on the day-to-day basis of just just life things, just random things like what are you doing this weekend? Mm-hmm. Or you know, having those small those small talk conversations can can really make a difference as you're as you're building out your team. I I try to approach 
running a running this business and you know managing people as being a source of support for them and not just being their boss like i want to i want to see them succeed i want to help them grow i want them to take their vacation days and go somewhere (laughs) (laughs) just you know just things like that It's, it's just it's for me, it's really rewarding just the, having the actual team itself. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's uh, I can remember that back in the day when I wasn't a solo um, operator. Is you know the camaraderie that you'd have around a successful launch or a successful um, you know something around product dev that was that went well. Having that mm-hmm. camaraderie with your fellow uh, employees was was really cool um, and so that's that's definitely something I miss I, I I'm definitely more on the introverted side whereas you're <laughs> an extrovert and so the I, I've been wondering about this like I can be an extrovert if I have to be like if I'm doing conference talks and speaking with people after a conference for example but I think by nature I'm more introverted so working alone in my office here by myself all day not such a big deal I don't think for me personally um, but there are times when it gets lonely. There are times when it's like, it'd be nice to, to see a human for, for <laughs> exactly. at least a couple of minutes. Um, so, so I can definitely see that uh, being a good point. Um, do you do anything with, your, with, with the tap room where, because you're remote, uh, where you bring people together for like an offsite or anything like that um, at some point yeah. in the year? So we do our annual Christmas party in January because nothing's booked up in January. So we just did that last month and I flew in some of our team from, I flew in our employees and then I flew in one of our our longstanding contractors and his wife to Atlanta. And, you know, we just, we just spent the day together and it was, it was really, really fun time. And, you know, people, everyone really enjoyed it. So it's something I want to do more than once a year. Um, mm. We also go to Shopify Unite, which is the big partner and developer uh, conference that Shopify hosts up in Toronto. Um, mm. But you can only have so many tickets to that. So it's mm. me, our project manager, and one of our developers who's going this year. So it's still gotcha. like a little bit of offsite kind of stuff. But as your team grows, it, those, those kind of situations become much more difficult and much more expensive. Yeah, I'll, it's definitely it's something that you know as we grow as a company, it's there is a specific line item for for those kinds of things, yep. or you know we we kind of follow the profit first method, uh, where you receive you always have a profit no matter you know what you're doing with your company. Um, really great book, Profit First by Mike Bakalowitz, um, kind of walks you through the process of setting up your bank accounts and everything and operating that way. And I am very open to be using some of those profits to pay for having my team come and you know spend time together because to me that is well it's reinvesting in the company because you're investing in your employees Mm. and at the end of the day if your employees are what makes your company a success you better have happy employees absolutely Good call, good call. Um, if there are folks out there who uh, want to get started freelancing, what's, what's uh, sorry, not freelancing so much, but but going towards building an agency, maybe they're freelancing already. What's What are some good like things to be mindful of, things to be doing now if maybe you're a freelancer and you want to start to build up an agency? One of the first things you're going to be doing as you, you know, really build an agency is you're going to be hiring people. Mm-hmm. and biggest recommendation I can make is hire slow and fire fast. Okay. Just, you know, do not rush the hiring process because you really need to make sure that they are a good fit for not only a good fit for them, for the company, but also for your company in general, where you want to see yourself 
you know, as, as the company itself grows. Um, really valuable to do a contract to hire kind of scenario. So test them out for a few months and then determine if it's going to be a good fit both for them and for you. Right. And it's much easier to uh, say, you know, this isn't working out in part ways if you're working under a contractual relationship as opposed to you're, you know, a full-time employee and then you have to go through all the employment laws for for firing somebody or letting them yeah. go. So gotcha. that's one of the big things. And just really, really make sure your finances are in order. The, as mm. soon as you're, you have people who are depending on the company to put food on the table at home. One of our, one of our developers, he, his wife just, they just had their first kid two mm. weeks ago. Wow. And so not only am I supporting his, him and his wife, but they also now have a baby at home as well. So making yeah. sure that you are bringing in enough work to cover the costs of having employees. Mm -hmm. Take your time hiring. Don't feel like you just need to scale really quickly and, and hire all of these people because the worst thing you could ha you could have to do is end up having to fire them. Yeah, yeah, That's, uh, that makes sense. Do you have any, because I think it's going to come up for most entrepreneurs at some point if they're building a team, you're going to have to fire somebody at some point. Yeah. Um, probably across the board, unequivocally, you're probably gonna have to fire somebody. What is What have you found to be some good, maybe, mental models going into that process for you or just maybe maybe things that have made it a little bit easier on your side because i think it's stressful for for everyone involved right um it absolutely is yeah um first of all there are a lot of really good management books out there that are well worth the read just for getting you know an understanding of what it is to have people working under you as if you've only ever freelanced before you've never actually had a team of employees even if you're working at another company there's a lot you can learn from from reading about how to conduct business as a manager one of the biggest things, and this goes for annual reviews and also uh, letting somebody go, it should never come as a surprise. Mm. You should have had enough conversations with them about their behavior, about their work, whatever it might be that's leading you to letting them go, where they, re they recognize that it's not working out for them either, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be. You, you know, have that, have that paper trail, have that track record of all those times that you had a conversation with them and the result of those conversations. I have uh, notes in, in just saved on my computer of all the conversations that I've had with my team where, you know, there was an issue that needed to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So if at some point I needed to go back and see like this, that you can see this is a repeatable behavior that has not changed, mm -hmm. it's not going to be a surprise to them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I've heard that from like uh, previous, previous managers that I have worked under who have had to hire, or sorry, fire someone else on our team. I, I've heard that from multiple people actually where it was, they went into it and the person being fired wasn't really surprised. They they got to the the meeting and it's like, oh, I know what's happening. That makes sense, yeah. right? And so that's, that, that's a sign of good management right there. Hmm, that's good. So definitely good to keep in mind. Um, so we've talked a lot about, um, you know, what you're doing now, Taproom agency wise, What's, what does the future have in store for you? Or what would you like the future to have in store? Uh, growing the agency, uh, keeping it where it is, doing something else in business? Is there anything else that you've got your eye on? I am sticking with the agency for as long as I can. My cool. uh, The company is a little over two years old now. And there's a lot of potential that, that we have to, to continue to grow. So taking it slow, 
but going to continue to to build out our team really focus on the skills or the the skills that we bring to the table the services that we're offering make sure those are streamlined and just see where things take us i've got my my one-year plan i have my three-year plan um i was told by somebody two weeks ago to not make a five-year plan because mm. we're in we're in this field where it changes you know mm. overnight and there's no way of predicting what things are going to look like five years from now very true very true that's cool well i'm i'm, I'm glad to hear that um what do you think is the future for Shopify? I mean, you're you're building on Shopify, so and you want to continue to grow the tap room. Must have some good uh, sort of inklings that Shopify is continuing in a good trajectory. Um, do you think, like, I guess even looking far out, do you think they're just gonna be a rocket to the moon forever, or or what do you, how do you think it's gonna go for them? I think that there's so much potential in the e-commerce space or just commerce in general that it's you know obviously nobody can predict the future but they're in such a good position to be continuing this upward trajectory and and really capitalizing on these opportunities that that arise in the in the commerce space and as as evidenced by what they've been building in the past five years Mm. as it's in just the five years that I've been building for Shopify like it's it's I feel very confident in my decision to focus solely on Shopify. I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Cool. That's good. That's that's good to hear. And uh, the city of Ottawa in Canada is glad for that as well. Oh, so. for sure. They're Canada's <laughs> part and joy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, they are. Uh, well, that's probably a good uh, note to start wrapping up on. Um, is there anything that you wanted to maybe plug or uh, point people towards as we wrap up here? Yeah, so uh, again, my merch store is kvlly.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at kvlly. There's obviously a pattern here. Uh, the Taproom's website is thetaproom.com. And I think that's that's probably it. Oh, cool. uh, oh yeah, I also host a podcast called The Ladybug Podcast. Please <laughs> listen. Course, yeah. uh, the website for that is ladybug.dev ladybug.dev cool we'll put all of that in the show notes awesome um well it has been a blast chatting with you today i'm uh very glad we got a chance to sit down and talk about your agency and all the things that go into it so uh the best of luck as you continue to build it um you're doing awesome things online and i always enjoy your dev joke tweets so keep those up um and uh, yeah it's been great chatting with you today yeah thanks so much this has been great absolutely we'll talk to you soon Thank you so much once again for tuning in to the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This has been episode 22 with Kelly Vaughn. You can find show notes with links to all the resources that Kelly mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you would like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe to find the appropriate link for you. And if you like the show, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review as well. Until next time, happy hacking.